And today we want you to turn, if you would, to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, chapter 26 and verse 29. I haven't forgot anything, have I? <laughs> Anybody ever had that feeling? Let's see, we had worship, took the offering. Okay, I know that's not very professional of me to do that. but I know, we've got it. I'm ready to preach now. If I forgot something, it's too late. Because this is going to be good. The Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 26 and verse 29, Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. Our Heavenly Father, I pray the word of God would go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit today. And God, I pray that people will be alert to receive from you, God. And Lord, I pray for the anointing of the Spirit to fall upon each one of us that makes this preaching supernatural. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to get to that verse a little bit later, but I want to emphasize what he's saying there because it's out of context. But he's saying, when he says that I wish you could become like me, he's talking about I wish you could become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I wish you would be saved as he's talking to King Agrippa. I wish all of these people here could be like me in the sense that I know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's what kept Paul going. If you know much about Paul, you know that all he wanted to do was go anywhere he could, anytime he could, to anyone that he could, and tell them about Jesus. So we're going to look at that. Now last Sunday... I preached about the story of Saul being converted, his incredible experience with God as he was on his way to Damascus. The light shined from heaven. He fell to the ground, and Jesus spoke to him, and he became a believer. He went into Damascus, and Ananias came to him and laid his hands on him, and he, his eyes were open because he became blind. And so we're jumping from that way over to a little bit close, not real close, but later in his life after he had had several missionary journeys and we're going to come to a story that I believe is going to be very beneficial to us. You see, Paul's story is the story of all committed Christians who desire to know God, serve God, and obey God. God uses their lives, God used his life and uses our lives for his own purpose and glory. They will willingly, they have willingly submitted themselves to him for that purpose. Let me rephrase that. We have willingly submitted ourselves to God for his purpose. And I believe that's important these days because many people get saved thinking, well, God is going to make my life what I want it to be. And that's why a lot of people come to Christ. I imagine all of us at times, that's kind of the mentality that we had, even the best of us. I need God's help. I need God to take me through. I need God to bring me out. I need God to make my life better. I need God to help me solve this problem. And you know what? God doesn't mind that at all. As long as first and foremost, we have willingly submitted ourselves to him for his purpose. In other words, the main thing is not what God can do for us, but what we can do for him. But at the same time, God loves to do for us. 
But he doesn't like it when we forget about that, when it's all about us. When we just come to him and say, okay, God, my life's a mess. I've messed it up. Others have messed it up. I'm falling apart. And now, Lord, I finally come to that place where I realize I need you. And I need you to fix this and that and the other thing and give me plenty of money, give me this and everything else. And, Lord, as long as you're giving me everything I want, we're good. But that's not what it's all about. You see, after his last missionary journey, Paul returns to Jerusalem where he faces harsh opposition from the Jews. They want to kill him. They want to kill him. All he's been doing is good. They claim he's blasphemed God, Moses, the Jewish laws. He was tried before Marcus Antonius Felix, who was the governor of Samaria. About two years later, he was tried before Festus. And during this trial, Paul appealed to Caesar. This is what they could do at that particular time. He was on trial. He realized it wasn't going to go very well. So he made his public appeal to be sent to Caesar and for Caesar to decide. But you see, it was more about, it was not just Paul trying to save his life. It wasn't like, how am I going to get out of this? Paul knew that God was using his life and directing his life and that all of these things that were happening to him were for a purpose and the primary purpose was that more people could be able to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved. And here he is standing up before governors and and kings and then he's going to stand up before Caesar and he is ready and willing to stand up before these, these powerful people. And when he stood up before them, he told them the truth. He didn't go before them thinking, well, what what can I say when I go up before King Agrippa to get out of this? No, he's thinking, when I get there, God's going to give me the words to say. It's not going to be in my defense. It's going to be an opportunity for me to share Christ with people. And that's exactly what happened. So we're going to look at a few things, and we're going to look at a few things, and God's going to bless. The first thing we're going to look at is in Acts 26, verses 19 through 20. This is very important right in the middle of the story as Paul has been brought up before King Agrippa. This is a very, very powerful man. This man could have said, kill him or go free. And Paul knew that. But as Paul is standing there before King Agrippa and he is sharing his story, he's sharing what he believes, I want you to listen to what he says to this king. But again, you got to get this. This ain't like in just a little court. This is the king, the powerful all-powerful as far as the law went. And here's what Paul said. He said, so then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. He was given the opportunity. And in this story, in the Acts 26, Paul got up and he explained what happened to him. He said, I was a Pharisee. I was very diligent. I was killing Christians. I was fighting against Christianity. I was putting them in prison. I was trying to stamp out all of this. And King Agrippa, one day I was on my way to Damascus to get a hold of those Christians, those people who were a part of the way, and to bring them back for trial and to put them. I was doing all of this, and suddenly a light shined down from heaven. He rehearsed that whole experience before the king. He wasn't saying anything to try to get off from what he was accused of. He was just sharing what God had done. And he comes down to this place. So then King Agrippa, 
And what a powerful, powerful statement. And don't you want to be able to make this statement? I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. Think back for a few minutes. I'm sure most everybody here at some point in your life, God put something in your heart. Something in your heart. Maybe not long after you got saved, God put something in your heart to do. And you know what it was. And you are thinking about that right now. That God's given you something to do. You might be right in the middle of doing it. But are you able to say, I have not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. I have done my best to make it happen. I have done my best to surrender my life to God. I have done my best to be the kind of witness for Jesus that he wants me to be. And what a powerful, powerful statement. I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. Damascus, Jerusalem, the Judea, and to the Gentiles. And listen to this, because this is important. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That's a powerful, powerful statement that you and I need to get a hold of. Because we live in a day where it's a very popular message. You just put your faith in Christ and receive salvation and go on your merry way and everything's going to be all right. But what we got to understand, true born-again salvation comes when the Holy Spirit has touched someone's heart and they come to that place where they repent of their sins. That means there's a turning. They were going in this direction. This, this direction led down a wide path, a road that leads to hell, a, lo- a road that was in, involved with so many sinful things and selfish things and bitterness and unrighteousness and, and evil and wickedness, all centered up in selfishness. And then all of a sudden, they have an experience with God, and they decide, I'm not going that way anymore. I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm not living for sin anymore. I'm making a turn, a 180-degree turn, and I'm going down that road, that narrow road that leads to life. And that road is a life of love, a life of commitment to God, a life that is following Jesus and obeying Jesus in every possible way that I can. That's what happens when people are born again. I think there's a lot of people today that say, well, I I prayed the sinner's prayer, and uh, I guess I'm saved, and there hasn't been any change in their life whatsoever. But I want you to know this. I know we all sin, but I want you to hear me very carefully. I believe this is what Paul was saying here, and there's so many other scriptures that say it. After you get saved, you cannot willingly continue in sin. The Bible teaches against that completely and totally. And I want this church to know that. I've been called by God to preach the truth of God's Word. I'm not minimizing God's grace. I'm not preaching a message of works. I'm just saying that, notice the word, the key word, willingly. Unfortunately, I believe there's too many people that are willingly continuing to live a sinful life, thinking and believing that they're saved because they said a prayer. And we all fail, but we're not sinning willfully. If you are willingly continuing in sin in your life, then you need to get a hold of God and let God get a hold of you. And I believe that was so important that we interject that in this message. Now, the next part I want to go to in in Paul's story is Acts 26, verse 21 through 29. I kind of began with this part, but I wanted you to see a little bit more. Acts 26 and 21 says, as he's continuing to, to talk to King Agrippa, That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great. 
I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. He is telling them about the love of Christ. He is telling them that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. All of these Jewish people are getting madder and madder and madder because they don't want to hear that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They didn't want to hear that he was the Messiah. Agrippa and Festus were there. They, they just kind of were listening to it all. And Paul has in mind that he's wanting them to get saved. And so he says that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. And then in verse 24, at this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. Hold on a minute, he says. You're out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. What in the world? Paul had learned a lot. And Festus is just jumping up. Now understand, King Agrippa has authority over Festus. King Agrippa is king. Festus is a governor of a smaller portion of land and people. And Festus jumps up. I think he was under conviction. I was thinking, hey, but I don't want to hear anymore about this. I don't want to hear about righteousness because when Paul was talking to Felix earlier in the book of Acts, he was talking about righteousness and godliness. And it said that Felix was trying to get a bribe for him so he would bring him in and hear him and hear him and hear him. And Paul just told him the word of God, told him the truth of God's love. But right here, Festus is thinking, hey, I got to put a stop to this. So he jumps up and he says, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. And then in verse 25, Paul says, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. Now, you notice the respect that he has for his position. We need to be respectful of people. I don't care how ungodly, how awful they are. I love that input of, of respect. Of course, he probably knew that if he didn't show him respect, <laughs> but he showed it because that was the right thing to do. What I'm saying, Paul says, what I'm saying is true and reasonable. And he says, the king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. The things of God should not be done in a corner. The things of God should not be confined to a local church building as we're in right now. I want God to do great things in this church. I want people to be healed and saved around these altars. But you know what? It should not be confined to the church. It shouldn't be confined to the, to the youth service or a Sunday school class or the women or the young adults or any, any other place on this property. We've got to let God do what he wants to do out there where people can see what God is doing. Let people see what God is doing. That's why we're going to be praying for people right outside. Man, can you believe that? Right outside in the open. We're going to have a prayer tent and people can go in there and get prayed for, and we're believing. Even if you're not one of the people in there praying, then you be praying that God will lead people over there to be prayed for and that God would do some great and mighty things. I'd love to see God begin to move in such a way in Paulding County that people would notice all over. You know, they drive around Paulding County, and they see church buildings everywhere they go. I mean, I can't even tell you how many I pass coming to church from my house. One, two, over and over and over and over and over. And you too, they're everywhere. And people that are unsaved are driving around, and these church buildings are having no effect upon them. They're not doing anything for them. We try to put messages out on the sign that will get people to thinking, you know what, but these church, build, the church buildings 
That's why I said last Sunday, let's pray that God would fill this property. This property of Dallas First Assembly of God, where the Spirit of God is so strong here that people will be drawn off the streets to come here and hear about Jesus. But let's get out there where people are. Let's show the love of Jesus out there. When we're in public, let's not try to change the message. Paul didn't change the message. He was standing before the king. He was standing before the governor. He was standing before the Jewish leaders, and they all had power to take his life from him, but he didn't care. He told the truth of God's word. And he said, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. If I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure I read that King Agrippa was married to a a Jewish. And uh, anyway, do you think that in such, King Agrippa said to Paul, this is what I read in the beginning. Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? I do love the way it's said in the the, uh, King James. Almost. Thou persuadest me to be a Christian. I like that better. Almost. I'm telling you, there's a lot of people burning. I know this sounds horrible. There's a lot of people burning in hell today that almost became a child of God. And if there's anybody in this building today and you're almost there, don't don't stop where you are. You dive in and put your faith in Jesus Christ and give your life to him dedicate yourself to him because I'm going to tell you I think it's going to be worse for people in hell that almost got there I don't know if that you know there's not going to be any good places to be in the, in hell but all those people that almost 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 for all eternity they've got to think I almost gave my life to Christ don't let it be an almost almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian and I'm going to tell you Paul said man I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, may be saved. Wow. Now let's get to the next part of the story. Paul had appealed to Caesar, so they finally put him on a boat in Acts 27 and headed him toward Rome. I want you to understand this. I wished I could tell you that when you're right with God and having a close walk with God, that everything in your life was going to be wonderful that you wouldn't have any problems, that you'd have plenty of money, and everything would just be hunky-dory and happy-go-lucky and everything's good and wonderful and marvelous, and you know that you'd never get an ache or a pain. Wouldn't that be nice? Man, if I could just get saved, I'll never have another ache or pain. Well, that's either not true or I'm not saved. (laughs) No, when you get saved, you're walking with Jesus, dedicated to him. Sometimes you have aches and pains. Sometimes you get sick. Sometimes people get diseases. Sometimes people lose their jobs. Sometimes people have conflicts with other people. There's all kind of problems that God's people have in this life. I'd love to get up here and give you some promises. Man, you come to the altar, get saved, and you're going to go to work tomorrow, and they're going to double your pay. Probably get some people down here. Now, that may happen, but I'm not going to promise that. But I can tell you this, even with the troubles, and it doesn't mean that just because you're saved, you're going to have a lot of troubles. But the thing is, we need to get our faith to a place where our faith is not dependent on our circumstances. Because that's where a lot of people are in Christianity. I'm going to love Jesus as long as things are going well. I remember years ago out in Texas, There was a, I don't remember when it was, 60s, 70s, I don't know. But there was a lot of people making a lot of money off of the oil industry. And 
A lot of preachers out there were preaching what we normally refer, refer to as the prosperity gospel. And their churches filled up. They filled up with people who were prospering because so many people were making a whole lot of money uh, in the, because of the oil-related industry. And then something happened. I don't remember what it was. I think they came along and said there was a, there was a lack of oil. Remember that? Anybody remember that? 1970-something? There was an oil shortage and prices of gasoline went from like 30 cent a gallon to 75 cent a gallon. Can you believe that? I remember paying 17 cent a gallon. And I'm telling you, when all that hit, man, I panicked. I had me a beautiful heavy Chevy Chevelle. I mean, it was, it was yellow. It had two black, two black stripes down it. Man, I was driving around campus going to school and working in a church. It looked a lot like the spark that I drive now, except for my spark don't have the stripes. And all of a sudden, I heard there was a oil shortage, and gas prices were going through the roof, 75 cents a gallon. And I panicked, and I traded my heavy Chevy Chevelle for a Pinto, a Pinto. <laughs> Don't let fear control your life. <laughs> but I'm telling you, it wasn't long after I bought that Pinto that I met this beautiful young lady named Pam. And I've never had to worry if she loved me for my car. <laughs> <laughs> we went on our honeymoon in a Pinto. So I've never had to be concerned about that. You never saw the heavy Chevy Chevelle, did you? Never got to see it. And all I have is memories of it. But anyway, the thing was that when that oil crunch hit, a lot of people lost jobs and lost money, and they were disappointed in God. Why did God let this happen? And that's what I'm talking about now. You know what? Sometimes I'm not saying that God doesn't bless people financially. I'm not saying that God won't give you plenty of money and, and the things of this life. But that's not what it's all about. Let your faith be centered around the facts that the Word of God is true, that God created everything that exists, that Jesus is the Son of God, that He came to this earth to die for our sins. When we put our faith and trust in Him, we are saved and on our way to heaven, and we're to live for Him and to love Him. And circumstances might be good, circumstances might be bad, but don't quit believing in Jesus. Don't think that your bad circumstances are because Jesus has forsaken you. Not at all. We've all wondered, God, why have you let this happen to me? Every one of us. It might be a little thing. It might be a big thing. There's been plenty of things I've seen people go through, and I couldn't blame them at all for saying, God, you're all powerful. Why are you letting this happen to me? You've got to have faith and say, God has a plan, and God knows what he's doing. we just got to have that kind of faith. So what is true is that God has a plan for each of us that may not be what we want, may not put our life where we want to be, may not put us living in the, in the dream world that we once had, but what we need to know is this. God's plans for us may not always please us, but they always have a purpose even when we don't know what the purpose is. Remember that. God hasn't left you. God isn't surprised you may not like what you're going through, but God's got a plan and a purpose, and he wants to use it for you, believe it or not, and for people around you. 
Now we come to Paul's situation. I would have hated to have gone what Paul went through. In Acts 27 and 18, it says, We took such a violent battering. They, they were taking him, and I'm skipping a lot, but Acts talks about all the different places. They put him on a boat. They went to this port. They went to that port. They, they faced this uh, storm. They faced winds out in the ocean that led them in the wrong direction, and it just seemed to get worse and worse and worse. So it says, We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. In verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we, and this was written by Luke, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Listen to me. Don't ever give up hope. Don't ever give up hope. There's always hope when God is involved. There's always something good that can happen. There's always something good that God can do. So in verse 21, after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, listen to these words. I want you to, I want you to imagine now. They're on, a, they're on a boat. I don't know if the boat looked like this, but it was, it was a boat. It was a sailboat. They didn't have a, a gas engine or anything like that. So they are pretty much at the mercy of the wind that is blowing. And they're out on the water, the wind is blowing, the waves are crashing, the boat is rocking back and forth. I mean, some things are breaking. They had thrown ropes around to, up under the boat to try to hold it together. They had pulled the lifeboat out of the water. They were doing everything they could to try to keep that boat from falling apart. I mean, they wasn't like on a cruise sitting out by the beach or sitting out by the swimming pool. They are in rough waters. They're shaking. They're probably throwing up. There's all kind of sickness, and they've probably got bruises from being hitting up against the sides here and there, and they're working themselves crazy. And all of a sudden, Paul comes out, and he's hollering and yelling because there's lots of noise from the waves. And he says, men. You should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. In other words, I told you so. <laughs> I don't know if that was right of him or wrong of him, but anyway, you should have took my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. What a statement for a man to make in this circumstance. Everything says this boat's about to break apart. We don't know where we are. It's dark. We hadn't seen the moon. We haven't seen the sun. We wouldn't know which way to swim even if we could. And this man comes up from inside the boat and he says, Hey, everything's going to be all right. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. Wow. I believe God wants to speak that to us during our storm. Because fear can cause terrible pain. Fear can cause us to make terrible decisions. And he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You must stand trial before Caesar. In other words, if God's got a plan for your life, that plan's going to happen. I don't care what happens to you. God's going to make his plan happen. So you can be sure. If God has a plan for you to do something a year from now, you're going to be here no matter what. God's going to make sure of it. 
If you've got a meeting to get to where you're going to share the gospel and you have a, a flat tire or your car breaks down, you just say, God, you know I'm supposed to be there. So God will get you there. So he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sell with you. That is, I don't know if I can describe that. That's special to me, how gracious God is. God didn't do, need to do anything for all those people. But Paul cared about those people. And so God said, Paul, not only are you going to be saved, all the people on this boat are going to be saved. I'm just going to do that for you as an extra bonus. And I believe God does that in our lives. God says, hey, I'm going to do this for you, but a whole lot of other people are going to get blessed by it. I'm going to make sure that you all get there. So he says, keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. That's what Paul told him. Everything's going to be all right. Have you ever been around somebody that's like ultra positive? It's wonderful. We need to hang out around them more and more and more. And it's good. Paul gets up when everything's looking awful and terrible and everything's going to fall apart. You know, it's all over. They're ready to die. Some of them probably wanted to just jump overboard and get it over with. And Paul stands up and says, hey, guys, probably with a big smile on his face. Hey, guys, everything's going to be all right. Sometimes that just gets you the wrong way. Am I telling the truth? I remember when Pam donated a kidney to her brother years ago back in the late 90s. Donated a kidney. And back then, it was like you got cut just about in half and had to stay in the hospital for a week. They don't do it like that anymore. But it was awful. She was in horrible, horrible pain. Of course, I was there in the hospital with her. And somebody sent us this balloon of Minnie Mouse. Minnie Mouse with a big smile on her face. I don't know if Pam remembers this or not. But I'm telling you, I was not a happy camper, and I wasn't even going through what Pam was going through. I was not a happy camper when they came in at 5 a.m. to weigh her. I thought, well, I'm not going to tell you what I thought. But I was sitting there one day looking at that Minnie Mouse, and I was thinking, if I could just find something sharp. I don't know why it was bothering me. It was just getting on my nerves. I don't want to see no smiling face. And I hate to say this, but there was a nurse that came in there, and she was always real cheery. Now, you're going to be disappointed in me. But that was years ago. Yeah, I was pastoring and all, but this nurse came in there, and she was always cheery, and I just calmly walked out to the desk. Y'all forgive me for this because it was, I wasn't mean. I just walked out, and I said, listen, we appreciate you, but when you come into our room, please don't be so cheery. <laughs> I don't know if Pam knows that or not. I don't know why. I just didn't want any cheerfulness right then. But you know what? It was, it was the time when I needed some cheerfulness. But I'm going to tell you, if I see another Minnie Mouse. <laughs> but you know what? Paul comes. I would imagine there were some people on that boat and said, hey, what's wrong with this guy? We're all about to die, and he's being cheerful and happy and giving us these promises. Well, God was trying to get through to those men on that boat. And Paul had such a faith in God. Now, don't misunderstand me. I appreciate people that are cheerful, and I need to be around some cheerful people. And we all do. So don't quit being cheerful. If you want to come to me after service and cheer me up, I will appreciate it very, very much. But that's what I want you to see. That's what Paul was doing. And so all these people heard that, and it really doesn't say what, what they thought about it or what they said about it. I hope that they had some hope inside all of a sudden. 
that things are going to be all right. And there's sometimes in the worst of circumstances, we need to hear from somebody that's godly that things are going to be all right because God is involved. But don't ever lose hope because God can do anything. They were hopeless. They, in the natural, they were hopeless. They were hopeless. There was no way out. They couldn't see land. They didn't know where they were, but God had a plan. So in Acts 28, in verse 1 through 10, here's what it says. Well, let's, let me tell you what happened. What happened? I mean, there's so much in this story. Come on Sunday night. We'll be studying it on Sunday night, won't we? We've been studying Acts on Sunday night, but we're, we're going through all this, what I'm talking about right now on, on Sunday night. Not tonight, but next Sunday night, we'll get back to that. But what ha- happened was they just kept throwing stuff overboard. They kept throwing stuff overboard. They took measurements and found out that in one place that it was 120 feet deep, and then they took it again later, and it was 90 feet deep. So they kind of figured out they were going. And so what happened, the boat ran aground. They thought they were going to make it to this island, but the boat ran aground on a sandbar out away from the the main part of the island, and the, the front of the boat was on the sandbar, and the waves kept crashing on the back of the boat, and pieces kept falling off. It kept breaking up. The, the boat is falling apart, and, and, and the Bible says that, that you just got to get to the land any way you can. If you can swim, swim to the island. If you can't swim, grab a hold of something. Get on a piece of board and make your way up to the island. But God had given them this promise that every one of those men were going to be saved. And so you can see the chaos, the darkness, the waves, the wind, the noise, the fear, and all of these men are out there. And you could see in most cases there would be a tremendous amount of loss of life, a tremendous amount. But God was right there with them. The ones that could swim, he made, they kept on, made sure they kept on swimming. And here's what we get to in verse 1 of the book of Acts 28. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us, all because it was raining and cold. They didn't know exactly anything about this island, but they found out that it was an island called Malta. And you know what? God knew where that island was for a long, long time. He knew who was there. He knew that they needed to hear the gospel. Instead of saying, well, we're going to send a missionary to Malta and put him on a plane and land him there, there wasn't any way to get anybody there. But God knew how to get somebody there. And he knew how to do it in such a way that the people of Malta would believe the message that they were sharing. So they get up there on the land, and everybody is finally around. It's freezing cold. And these people of Malta, they came out, and they were very kind people. They probably had even seen the boat crashing and probably had seen people swimming to shore and were ready to help them. And they realized the first thing they needed to know was that they needed to get warm. So what they did was they built a fire right there on the beach. Anybody have a match? Lighter? <laughs> Anyway, got your torch, Wayne? Maybe not. So anyway, they were gathering stuff together, and they put a fire. And Paul, you know, he was not this preacher standing around saying, yeah, y'all get this done so I can be warm. No, he'd always jump in and work with anybody, anytime, anywhere. And he went over, and he gathered a branch, and he's throwing it on the fire. And all of a sudden, man, this snake grabs a hold of his finger and biting on his finger. And he's just standing there thinking, man, what am I going to do? He probably just flung it, I would fling it to y'all, but that's not what the Bible says. 
this thing looks fake, doesn't it? Why is my finger hurting? <laughs> anyway, anybody scared of snakes? You. Anyway, we got to do what the Bible says. So Paul, he didn't get that thing said. Oh no, no, no! I'm gonna die! I'm gonna die! I'm gonna die! Nope. That snake grabbed a hold of his finger, and he just kind of looked at it and threw it right back into that fire. I think it moved. <laughs> so what happened? The people of that island knew those kind of snakes very, very well. And they stood back and said, oh, no, he must be a murderer. Even though he's escaped this shipwreck, the gods, in other words, the gods are going to make sure that he gets justice. And so now he's going to die. And they stood back watching. And apparently people that would get bit by that snake, they'd swell up and then they'd just kill over and die or just fall. And they're watching and they're waiting for him to die. And he just goes on with his business. He's picking up logs and he's making this fire and he's warming his hands and he's not worried about snakes or anything like that. And you know what? The Bible says that when we go into all the world and preach the gospel, that we can take up serpents or drink anything deadly. So, are y'all ready? <laughs> no, 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 no. Let me make this one thing clear, especially if we have any visitors here. We are not a snake-handling church, okay? You can call me lack of faith or whatever. No, we don't do that here, so just rest comfortably. And really, that was not a real snake, just in case you're wondering. So, that's not what God was saying. What God was saying when Jesus was saying when he said you can take up serpents was exactly what happened to Paul. If you're in a situation and you get bit by a snake and you can't get any help anywhere, God will take care of you. Now, let me recommend this. If you get bit by a snake, if you're not sure if you've got enough faith, you better head to the hospital. All right? I just want to get that out there. I'm not saying that God will not protect you, but God gives us an enormous amount of wisdom also, right? An enormous amount of wisdom. And he's given us doctors and he's given us emergency rooms. So if you get bit by a snake... You know, my recommendation is you pray all the way to the hospital. And I'm not saying that as a lack of doubt in what God can do. I'm just saying God has given us wisdom. But anyway, the people stood around. Paul didn't blow up. Paul didn't get sick. Paul didn't fall over dead. So what do you think these people said? He must be a God. He must be a God. Nobody ever gets bit by that snake. And doesn't die. They'd seen it happen to their friends and relatives many, many times. And now this man got bit by that snake. Genuine. We saw it bite him. We saw it. He put his fangs right into his hand. And he's not dying. He must be a God. We must worship him. And you know, there's a lot to this story that's not written down. But I can just imagine Paul saying, wait a minute. I'm not a God. Because that happened in other places in the book of Acts. And they had to say, no, 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 don't worship us. Don't worship us. But Paul standing there telling them that he believed in Jesus, that Jesus had protected him. Jesus had taken care of him. And he probably told them about Jesus. And the Bible goes on to say not only that happened, but these people began to worship and believe God because there was one person on the island. There was a big estate. And the man that lived there, his name was Publius. He was the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed. 
suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. So all of a sudden this man gets healed. But what happens after that? When this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They were healed by the power of God. They honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Now you can see that I would imagine in the midst of that whole story, Paul is there sharing Jesus. Sharing that it wasn't Paul that healed Publius' father-in-law. It was, it was God that healed him. It was Jesus that healed him. And it's Jesus is the Son of God. And he came to save the whole world. Not only the Jews, but the Gentiles. Not only the rich, but the poor. Everybody of every nation, every tongue, every language around the world. Jesus Christ came. And Paul's taking advantage of this opportunity. And God gives him opportunity. So what Paul went through, going through that terrible Two weeks or more on that awful shipwreck. It was all for the purpose of these people on the island of Malta coming to know Jesus. And that's what it's all about. That's truly what it's all about. Can you imagine a more exciting life when we give our hearts and lives to Christ? How God can use us? You say, well, I don't want to be on a shipwreck. Yeah, but if you are on one and it ends like that, wouldn't that be wonderful? Isn't it wonderful that even during our day-to-day activity that God opens up doors and puts us in places that we think, how did I get here? And then there's someone that we can share the love of Jesus with. We can share Jesus with them. God is in control. God wants to use our lives. But remember what he shared in the beginning, that we must repent of our sins and come to God and demonstrate. Our life should be a a demonstration of what God can do with a human being. I look around this building, and I don't know everything about everybody, but I know a lot about many of you. I've heard your testimony. I've heard how you lived before you were saved. I've heard of your insecurities and fears and worries and lack of abilities. But now I see what God has done in your life, and I see people that are crying out without even saying a word. This is what God can do for somebody. I was going down a bad path. I was going down a wrong path. And then Jesus came and rescued me. And I gave my life to him. And he's made it wonderful. Because the truth is, when even when things are going horrible, even when we're having a lot of problems and a lot of difficulties, living for Jesus is still wonderful. It's still wonderful. I don't know, I can't believe, I don't know how in the world people outside of Christ go through what they do without Him. How do they face their troubles and problems? They have no hope. They lose a loved one and they don't believe in God and they don't have any hope for that person after they've gone. But you know what? We have hope. We know what happens to our loved ones who know the Lord. We're sad that they've gone. We're sad that they've left us. But we rejoice in the fact of where they are. We rejoice in the fact that they are in the presence of Almighty God. I'll say this about Ron. He probably is thinking, you know, wow, I want to go back to that earth that I lived in. No, he's not thinking that at all. He's thinking, I've seen Jesus. I've seen the Lord. I have no more pain. I have no more sorrow. I have no more sickness. I have no more fear. I have no more worry. I have no more 
of all the things that this life brings into our lives that are that's very unpleasant. He's with the Lord. And that's where we want to be. Amen. But I want to tell you, I want us to pray this morning for people that are going through whatever you're going through. And I want to give you an opportunity. Matter of fact, I'd like the whole congregation to stand right now if you would. If you've got sickness, if you've got other problems in your life, if there are things you are worried about, if there are fears that you are facing, if there's things in your life that that are just getting the best of you, because listen, and maybe they aren't getting the best of you, but they're real. Sometimes these problems become distractions instead of something beneficial that God wants to bring about in our life. So I want you to come for prayer. And I don't care if you are having great victory over all of these things. I want you to come for prayer. Because what we want to pray about more than anything is that what you're going through, in the midst of what you're going through, that your faith continues to be strong. And even if it has continued to be strong, I'd love for you to come and let us pray for it to continue to be strong. If maybe you're concerned and it might be distracting you, that's okay. We've all been there. If you want to be healed by God, it may be that what you're going through, God doesn't want it to last long at all. That he's ready to get rid of it completely and totally. And I want you to let us pray because we believe God. We believe God is so loving and kind. He may not take away all the problems, but I believe he wants to do some great things. I believe he wants to heal heal people. I believe he wants to encourage people. And what my greatest prayer is going to be is that everybody that, that takes that walk of faith down to this altar, that they'll be able to go away from here saying, I know that God's in control, and I know God's going to take care of me, and I know that his will is be, going to be done. My faith is in him. So I want to stand up before you this morning as Paul stood up to all those people on that ship. And I want to tell you, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. If you want to be prayed for right now, just step out from where you are and come. And when everyone is here, we're going to pray. And we're going to trust God. And we're going to believe God. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb of God. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter how big or how small. God cares. God loves you. God wants to bless you. God wants to encourage you. God wants your faith to be strong. He wants you to continue to believe in Him greatly. The way it is is not the way it's always going to be. Let me say that again. The way it is right now is not the way it's always going to be. God is going to turn this around. But let God use it. Let Him use it to increase your faith. Let Him use it to show you of His great love and power. Let Him use it to cause others to come to Christ if that's what His plan is. So let's pray. Let's just pray right now. In the mighty name of Jesus. Father, I come to you right now for all of these that have come to this altar. And God, I'm praying for them, Lord, as their pastor. Lord, I give them a word from you, God, that everything is going to be all right. Lord, I pray right now that you'll take away their fears. I pray you'll take away their worries. I pray, God, that inside that the joy of the Lord would begin to bubble up within them and that they can have great joy and great happiness even in the midst of what they're going through. 
Father, I pray right now that every sick person at this altar, every sick person that is standing in this altar, and God, I pray you'll just spread it throughout this, this building right now, that every sick person in this building would be healed by the power of God. Lord, the Bible says you took stripes upon your back that we might be healed. Lord, you said we can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Lord, you told us to call for the elders of the church and anoint them with oil and pray the prayer of faith and the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And God, we're all praying. Lord, it's not just me, but all of us are combining our prayers and our faith together, calling on you, God, just to come down from heaven in a powerful way right now and sweep across this church and touch people's lives, touch people in their bodies, touch people in their minds, touch people in their hearts, God, that faith would be on the rise, that those whose faith has been dwindling, God, I pray their faith would be on the rise. Lord, let their faith in you. Let them know, God, that you are not surprised. You are not on a vacation. You're not taking a nap. But, God, you are right there with them and what they are going through. And, God, we believe it according to your word. Lord God, we believe it. And so, God, we just believe you're sweeping across this altar right now through your awesome power, touching people's hearts, touching people's lives, and that people are being healed and ministered to in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. Glory to the Lamb of God. You are the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. The mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You are our healer. You are our Savior. You are our provider. You are our protector. You are our, our covering, Lord. You are everything we need you to be. And God, we thank you. Lord, we know that you fight for us. You are with us. You are for us. You're on our side. God, if you are for us, who can be against us? Oh, mighty God, mighty God, how wonderful you are. Hallelujah. Let's just begin to praise him. Just begin to praise the Lord. Glory to the Lamb of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We love you. We praise you. We exalt you. We glorify your holy name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lamb of God. Praise the Lamb of God. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, praise God, praise God, praise God. Having done all to stand before the, because the battle is the Lord's. Glory to God. Take that as a, a word from God this morning. The battle is not yours. The battle belongs to Him. You just stand with Him, stand in faith with Him, walk with Him. Let Him fight that battle knowing that who else could fight any better than Him? He's with you. He's for you. He hasn't left you. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb of God. Glory to the Lamb of God. Let's just wait on the Lord for a moment. Wait on God. God, lead us. Lead us right now. And guide us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory to the Lamb of God. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. It's 
wonderful, 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 wonderful love. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. like you, if you're up here because of an illness in your body, I want you to just raise your hand. Just felt led for some reason for people to, I'm just going to come by and, and uh, put, anoint you with oil. Anybody else is for sickness? Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, as the Bible says, we've anointed people with oil, and we are praying the prayer of faith. God, we know that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And God, we pray for healing. We pray for healing, Lord. Heal people's bodies. Lord, there are so many people at this altar right now and in this church, God, that are suffering with, even right now, experiencing pain in their bodies. There's others that are facing diseases and other kinds of illness. And Father, we pray for healing in the name of Jesus. Lord God, you healed in, in the story we looked at today. All through the book of Acts, people were healed. Jesus, as you walked along upon this earth, you healed the sick. And Lord, you told us that greater things than these can we do or see as we put our faith in you, Lord God. So God, I'm desperately praying for these that are sick right now in the name of Jesus to be healed in their bodies. And God, let it be in a way that they know it was you, that this is you that has done it. God, let us have faith, God. If our faith is lacking, then increase our faith. Give us strong faith in you, Lord God. We are desperate to cry out to you right now and experience your supernatural power and your supernatural presence. God, we're going to love you and serve you no matter what. But, Lord, we are desperately asking you to come and heal sick people among us, God. We pray for Brian, Lord, and we ask you to touch him right now in the name of Jesus Christ and let him be healed completely and totally. And, God, others of our congregation that are facing very serious illnesses, God, I pray pray for them to be healed in the name of Jesus, whether they are here or not here, God. Lord, they're a part of this family, and we pray for their healing in the name of Jesus, in the mighty name of Jesus. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. Lord, we lift you up and we exalt you, God. There is nothing too hard for you, Lord. And God, I pray that you will help us to have statements of faith. 
God, we believe we're being healed in the name of Jesus. I want everybody to say that with me right out loud. We believe we are being healed in the name of Jesus. Let's say it again. We believe we are being healed in the name of Jesus. One more time, right out loud. We believe we are being healed in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for it and glorify you for it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I believe in making statements of faith. Making statements of faith. We don't have to deny what we're going through. But that's the way I like to say it. I'm sick, but I believe God's going to heal me. I'm sick, but I believe I'm getting better. I'm trusting what God can do and God can heal. He can make us well. He can take away the effects of every disease, every accident, every infection. He can take it away. All the effects of it completely and totally. Let's believe it. Let's believe it. I believe God's up in heaven saying, oh, man, I am ready to do what those folks are asking for. I'm seeing faith arise in Dallas, Georgia, and I am ready to come down and do something that doctors can't do, that medicines can't do, and he's ready. He is ready. He is ready. Praise God. Praise God. What a wonderful sight. Now, here's what I want you to do. I'm expecting you to do this. Just call me and tell me, God healed me. I've been healed by the power of God. And we're going to tell it everywhere we go. Isn't this wonderful, folks? Thank you all for being involved in this. Let's give God praise and glory and honor. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Wonderful, 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 wonderful. Well, God bless you for being here. If this is your first time, thank you for coming. Be sure to go right in front of the sound booth. We have a couple there that will give you a very special gift for your first time.